Hey everybody, this is Joe Owen and I am presenting a message that I was asked to give uh, at North Star. Uh, Teresa had asked me to deliver a message for her following her series on resiliency. And I asked her how she wanted me to do that. And she said, well, as long as I've known you, you seem to be pretty resilient in your life. And so she suggested that I give some of my life experiences. So hopefully my looking back will help you look forward. I would say that my life is summed up by one of the great philosophers of my, gen my generation, Jimmy Buffett. In his classic song, He Went to Paris, he ends with a line that I find very truthful or I relate to in my life. And Jimmy says, the old man said, Jimmy, some of it's magic and some of it's tragic, but I've had a good life all the way. So when I look back at my life and the tragi tragedies and the magic times uh, and think about what helped me to be resilient, I, th I agree with Teresa that the first and most important step is believe God is who he says he is. And one of the scriptures that I really look at when I think about that is the 23rd Psalm. In that Psalm, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He gives me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You set a table before me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. <clears throat> Many of you may remember that Lori and I celebrated our 41st anniversary a couple of weeks ago. What most of you may not know is that Lori's not my first wife. I married my college sweetheart uh, day after graduation. We had a plan. She was going to finish nursing school the next year, and I was then going to go to law school, and she was going to support us through law school. Well, I worked that year and got her out of nursing school and started law school at Virginia the next fall. During that fall, she met somebody at the hospital she was working at who she found more appealing than me. And on New Year's Eve, my first year in law school, she decided to leave me and moved in with the guy she had met at the hospital. Now you gotta understand, I was starting my first set of law school exams in 10 days. Virginia at that time did not have pre-Christmas exams. They were, we went away and took our exams in January. And in law school, there are no tests. There are no grades. The exam is all or nothing. Your entire grade was the law school exam. I had no idea at that point, none of the first year students did, whether we knew any of the material, whether we could articulate it. It was just a great, great big unknown. Well, I will tell you, 
the way I dealt with that, first and foremost, I got on my knees and just said, God, get me through this. And at that moment, as I prayed to him, I felt the peace that passes all understanding for the first time in my life. You know, in Philippians 4, the six and seven verses, Paul tells the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. I will have to say that I got through those exams really because of that peace and God's strength. Now, that didn't end the, the pain and the, and the questioning. Um, and so I had to kind of figure out what was going on with my life and with the marriage. And as I was doing that, I processed two questions. Was my wife open to someone else because of her problems? Or were our problems magnified because she had met someone else she found more interesting? You know, Teresa gave us like 12 different other tools to help us in our reliance. And one of, the, one of them uh, that I found that I came into play at this point was self-respect and humility. I think we have to look at our situations with humility and, and, and accept that I had had a part in this, in this situation. Uh, and that was a humbling thing. Uh, and, and as I looked at answering those questions, I'll have to say to this day, I still don't know the answer. I don't know which it was. And, and that answer didn't matter. It's what I did with the questions, I think, that was more important. Uh, I had to look within myself uh, with humility. And at that point, I came to see that I had been very self-centered, that I had not cherished her or treated her with the respect she deserved. Um, so with all of that, I pro began processing me and taking responsibility for me in the next uh, phase of my life. And I think because of that work, um, I've been a, a better husband for Lori. And, uh, and I think that's been an important part for our, the success of our marriage. Um, there was a, a second time that I experienced that peace that passes all understanding. Uh, when I was 37 years old, I had a, a heart attack. I had my first heart attack and uh, ended up having six bypasses. And I was laying up in ICU listening to the machines to try to figure out whether I was going to still be alive or not. Uh, I remember one night I was sitting up there and watching Hee Haw, of all things, and um, seeing all those fat guys in bib overalls on that show. Uh, I'm thinking, why am I in here and they're out there having a good time? Uh, but I was worried. I was very worried laying up in ICU because I had a young wife, three young sons, Elliot, and Elliot was eight, Grayson was six, and Reed was four at the time. 
And as I was contemplating uh, what was going to happen, I was not fearful for myself, but for the family. What were they going to do without me? Uh, and it was at that point God spoke to me again. And he said, you're going to have the surgery. You're going to be all right. And you're going to be all, you're going to be there for your family. You're going to watch them grow up. Uh, and at that moment, I again had that peace that passes all understanding. You know, one of the other uh, tools that uh, we've looked at in our resilience, resiliency, I say that fast three times, um, series has been humor. I've always felt like if I can laugh about something, I can get through it. And while I was still in the hospital, um, getting ready to be released, doctor came in to see me and he, uh, I asked him, I said, uh, Dr. Zako, will I be able to play golf now? And he said, yeah, I think it's probably going to cut down on your backswing, but you'll be able to play. And I said, well, that's good because I've never been able to play before. And he, he started laughing and said, you're going to be all right, because I could look at it with humor. Another of the tools is to respect your body and self-care. I spent my young life in sports, uh, all the way to playing four years of college football. And the year after I finished my college career, I didn't want to exercise for any reason. I just vegetated for a year. But when I got to law school, I needed some stress relief. So I started exercising again. I was running three to five miles a day in the afternoon. And I kept that up even after graduation, up until uh, the day before I had the heart attack. And I am convinced that that exercise saved my life because I had like 90 some percent blockages in all the major arteries. But the doctors said I had developed collaterals that made me able to survive the heart attack. Uh, I also feel like that I'm still alive today at 68 because of my continued exercise. Uh, the uh, doctors have, have said because of the damage done from the first heart attack, I meet the criteria for congestive heart failure. And um, so, but what I've done with that, uh, I am not symptomatic for that. I'm, I'm, my tests meet all the, um, make me in that category um, of potential heart failure. Uh, a couple of years ago after I had the surgery, heart surgery, we went to Greece and I had a, a fall and had to have knee surgery. And after that, I had a lot of shortness of breath and swelling that wouldn't go away. And so I finally went back to see my cardiologist and she sent me to one of her colleagues who, whose card reads heart failure and transplant cardiologist. Well, if, if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. And she started working with me and helping me and gave me some tests. And I came in in December for uh, my follow-up and I thought I'd done well on the stress test. And she sat down and started telling me how bad my numbers sucked with my echocardiogram and my breathing and, and all those things. And I left her office thinking I was dead man walking. It was just, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but I've continued to go to the gym at least four days a week and go to a pool um, 
two days a week. And after that meeting with the doctor, I uh, uh, was in New York, Lori and I were in New York, and I found this sign in a little shop that I found very encouraging and reassuring. The sign said, life is short, live it well. And I keep that on my desk as a reminder to continue to work out. And as a result of my exercise, um, my echocardiogram has remained stable and I've improved in the uh, stress test. So, you know, our exercise and our self-care is very important in, uh, in our resilience. <clears throat> Some of you may remember uh, when I spoke about a month ago, the uh, telling about the third time I'd experienced God's peace which was driving home from the baseball field after Grayson had been killed. Um, but God's presence was was uh, very real to Lori and I uh, the morning of Grayson's funeral. That morning, Lori was ironing her dress, and I heard her start crying. I went over and to comfort her and she said, you know, God just spoke to me. Remember last fall with the Coazos? God said, even then, I was preparing you for this. And what she was talking about, that previous September, I'd been to my first Fellowship of Christian Athletes Board trustees meeting. I served on that board for 12 years. And this couple told the story about their son's murder in Miami. Their son had gone down to buy drugs the dealers didn't have the drugs, and but the young fellow had $25,000, so they killed him for the money. Lori and I were absolutely blown away with how could Gary and Peggy Quazzo deal with their son's death in this way. Um, and as we had listened to them and heard their story, Lori said to me, I don't know how they got through that. I could never get through losing a son. But as you know, we did and we have gotten through it. Um, the visual I have about that is after my first heart attack, I asked my surgeon how much damage had been done. And he said, don't worry, you've got enough heart left to live the rest of your life. And for me, it's the same about losing a child that put a hole in my heart or damaged my heart, but there's enough heart to live the rest of our life. Um, another of the uh, tools for us in resiliency, I believe, is community. Ironically, in February of 1999, I had invited Gary to speak to a men's retreat for Bonaire Baptist. And he came in and we had a retreat that was going to last Friday night and Saturday. And during that retreat, I heard Gary talking to Pete McBean and a fellow named Bugsy King about a pilot program they were starting the next day at an elementary school. And as you might have figured that one out, that pilot program was North Star Community. And um, when I heard about it, that's the first I'd heard about it. Lori and I decided we would go just to support Pete and Teresa. Our families had gotten close after Grayson had been killed uh, with a shared loss as Meredith was one of Grayson's close friends. Um, 
final tool I'm going to talk about is handling strong emotions. At Grayson's funeral, Pastor Pardue said, the question we need to ask today is not why this happened, but how can you use it for God's greater glory? Well, it's been apparent to me one of the ways that I've used that, that strong emotion, that sense of loss. Um, I coached a lot of youth sports, baseball, football, and basketball. Coached a lot of kids. But even with that, I don't know too many youth coaches that have been to the funerals of 12 of their former players. And each one I went to the, was there for the family. Uh, and over the last 23 years, there's been a number of other families who have lost children, some of our families at North Star. And what I found, one of the ways to handle strong emotions is to share them with others. You know, there's something very healing about crying together and sharing hugs. When you're doing that, there are no words needed. Uh, Gary and Peggy were there for Lori and I. We were together for another five years on the board, and it seemed like every time uh, we would get together, there was something new that had come up that we could talk to them about. And because they were five years ahead of us, it was very comforting to be able to talk to somebody that had had the same experience we had. And so we've tried to give that play that, give that forward uh, through the years. So as I look back at why I feel I have some resilience in my 68 years, I see the key has been first and foremost to believe God is who he says he is. Then we need to, I've tried to review myself with self-respect and humility. I've tried to respect my body and, and engage in self-care. Clearly an important part is living in community, looking at life with humor, takes the edge off, and finally handling strong emotions by sharing them with others and not being so stuck on your emotion that you can't be there for others in similar circumstances. So if you try to put these together, I hope you will. Uh, hopefully you can one day say, as Jimmy Bell Buffett tells us when, he, when we look back at our lives, some of it's magic, some of it's tragic, but I've had a good life all the way. Thank you.